good morning, church family. Uh, Pastor Ben here. And, and this morning, I've given the privilege to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Javier uh, Tarango Show, who will be finishing up the rest of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, before he goes there, I want to introduce to you a little background of who he is. Uh, Javier was born in San Francisco, but he grew up in L.A. Uh, he's married and has two kids who are actually good friends and of the same age as Christopher and Noel Hongs. Uh, he is one of the directors of InterVarsity, who oversees the campuses in Alameda and Costa Contra County, who really, really loves scriptures. Now, when I met him a couple of months ago, um, as we were just kind of discussing and dialoguing, I could really, really sense that he really, really loves the scripture. So he's actually currently working on a project that he is really, really looking forward to in the summer. And also being, being from L.A., he is a huge Dodger fan. Now, I think that's one of the reasons why he and I just clicked. But he was kind of worried that we were kind of going on a slump, but it's okay, Javier. We're back on track. And he loves chickens. He loves to cook. Not all chickens all the time, but he loves to hike with his families. And check this out. He's actually a professional DJ on occasion. But you know what? Enough said. Uh, Pastor Javier, and take it away. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, good morning, CLC. Um, thank you to the staff, Pastor Ben, and others who extended this invitation to me. Um, I have felt ministered to by the Lord in my preparation. So getting just to even share some reflections from that feels a little bit like icing on the cake. Um, thank you to Teacher Lynn and Monto for that very poignant uh, kids moment. Uh, in that moment, we saw this physical wall going up, and that was creating a boundary between Teacher Lynn and Monto. And this morning, I want to talk to us a little bit about boundaries and the implications um, of those boundaries. You all have been in this Ephesians series talking about this whole new world that we are invited into via Ephesians. And this morning, I want to talk to us about a new boundary. And as a result of that new boundary, a new family that God has for us. Now, growing up, um, occasionally, I would step out of line and I would cross a behavioral boundary every so often, doing something I was not supposed to do. And I would get reprimanded. But when I was really stepping out of line, I would even get spanked because I had crossed a behavioral boundary so egregiously that my parents needed to bring me back into line with a spanking. Um, but when I was, um, uh, when I was spanked, um, nine times out of 10, it was because I was repeatedly and intentionally choosing not to listen to my mom. Now, I didn't get spanked often. My parents were good and measured parents. I want to make that clear. But when I didn't listen to my mom, I would oftentimes get a spanking. And it wasn't my mom who did the spanking, actually. It was my dad who witnessed this continual behavior and then stepped in. You see, I was crossing this metaphorical behavioral boundary that was not to be crossed in our household, so I was spanked. Um, on another occasion, 
uh, one time um, when I was young, um, actually the only time in my life that I was spanked by someone other than my parents, we, my family, we were at a park and we were, we were there with other families and I was only a few years old. And as kids do sometimes, I ran into the street chasing a ball. Mike, our dear family friend, without consulting my parents, grabbed my arm and with one hand dragged me back to the sidewalk with his other hand raised in the air, which was then brought down with a swiftness towards my backside. As I said, it was the only time in my life someone other than my parents spanked me. And obviously it made an impression. Now, Mike, Mike loved me and he loved my family. He was the best man at my parents' wedding. And unfortunately, I speak of Mike in the past tense because 13 years ago, he died of cancer. You know, had he had the opportunity to meet my children, he would have loved them too. But in that instance, when I was a young child and I crossed a boundary into the street, I needed to be brought back into line. And Mike, because he loved me, he brought me back into line and into safety. See, boundaries in and of themselves are not bad things. Let me say that again. Uh, boundaries in and of themselves are not bad things. Boundaries are a tool that are indicative of a value. Values determine boundaries, but often it is easier to identify the boundaries than it is to identify the values. In my two examples uh, that I, I was referring to, the values being pointed out were one, listening to the women in my life who have authority over me. And two, the preservation of my life. Now, those are good values. And there were boundaries that were in place to exhibit those values. You know, the tricky part, though, church, is identifying what values we want our church communities to exhibit and maintain. And then the appropriate placing of those boundaries. Uh, in the story we heard from teacher Lynn and Monto, the value that was trying to be expressed was safety. Now safety that is derived from the care and protection of God is a good thing. You know, that is a good value. However, in the story, the placing of that boundary ended up separating Monto and Teacher Lin. Uh, Teacher Lin and Monto should be in relationship with one another, but that wall was going to create a barrier and a boundary, and that would have been bad. And as a result of that, the original value of safety would have been distorted and warped, resulting in that separation. Now, as we all know, like our world is full of boundaries. And some of them are very, very bad boundaries. Uh, we've seen inappropriate boundaries between police and people of color, and that all too often results in conflict. Uh, more recently, unfortunately, we've seen a rise in anti-Asian violence. And that is another example of conflictual relationships that should not be because of inappropriate boundaries. There are inappropriate boundaries all over our world 
because our world maintains values that are at times in conflict with the character of God. And sometimes even within the church, we have exhibited boundaries that don't appropriately reflect the character of God. Just looking at the history of denominationalism within our country, we also see a history of bad boundaries. And a lot of times those boundaries have racial undertones to them. That is a part of our history that we should acknowledge. But church, Jesus created through his very body a new boundary for the people of God. And the book of Ephesians outlines this whole new world and gives us some insight into these new boundaries and the subsequent new family that God is creating. Let me pray for us really quickly, and then we'll turn to the scripture for this morning. Uh, Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a God who exists as community, and you are a God who relates to one another in a way that demonstrates um, uh, how we are to relate to one another. Uh, we confess that in our world, we have placed inappropriate boundaries all over the place. Uh, will you help us to align our values to your character and then the appropriate placing of boundaries as a result? Uh, we need your wisdom um, in this. This is hard work. Uh, will you give us your insight this morning? Teach us what you want. Amen. Now, we'll turn to the scripture, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Uh, For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, we'll have some more scripture as we go on this morning. Uh, but in this portion of scripture, I love how Paul organizes this passage because we see in Jesus the reversing of the results of an old boundary. In this case, that old boundary was circumcision. And Pastor Calvin talked about that last week. But let's quickly review to contrast some verses and to see this reversing more easily. Verse 12 is reversed by verse 19. No longer foreigners or strangers. Verse 13, once far off, is reversed by verse 17. Peace to those far away. Verse 14, there are two groups, in this case, Jewish people and Gentile people. And in verse 15, they are made into one new humanity. In this section, we see Paul contrasting the old and the new, the distance of the past versus the proximity of the now. This change is made possible by the pivot point that we see appearing at the beginning of verse 
15. The beginning of verse 15 helps us to receive appropriately all of chapter 2. In this verse, Paul articulates Jesus introducing a new boundary. And it is in this new boundary by which we are able to form a new family. So let's focus briefly on verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now this is reference, this is in reference to verse 11, the old boundary of circumcision that was articulated at the beginning of this section. And that old boundary pointed to a good value, being in covenantal relationship with God. Pastor Calvin talked about that last week, how circumcision was this indication of being a people set apart to be in relationship with God. That was the covenant agreement. Now that is a good value. And that boundary of circumcision pointed to that value. Covenants and covenant agreements, they defined the nature of any particular relationship. And they always were instituted through blood. Pastor Eric um, talked a couple weeks ago about the procedure of covenants and how animals would be cut in half and placed on the ground. And the participants in that particular covenant would walk through the middle of those animals, signifying their commitment to the covenant agreement. Now, obviously, in the splitting of those animals, there was blood. In the procedure of circumcision, the indication of the covenant, obviously, also, there was blood. In covenant agreements, there was always blood. In Jesus' death on the cross, we know that there was blood. That blood has become our new boundary marker for the people of God. It is this bloody work of Jesus that enables the proximity that we, that we see described in Ephesians chapter 2. Because Jesus created through himself a new boundary for the family of God. The early church was a boundary-crossing institution. Let me say that again. The early church was a boundary-crossing institution. Now, that doesn't mean that they got everything right. They, like us to this day, were a work in progress. This letter um, and the instructions within it are evidence of that. But they did cross boundaries. According to the conventions of that society, the church was breaking a lot of rules. Within the church, the way Jewish people related to Gentile people was unconventional. The way men related to women, unconventional. The way rich folk related to people without resources, unconventional. The way free people related to those who were enslaved, unconventional. According to the conventions of society at that time, these folks should not have interacted in any way in any manner that was contrary to the existing power dynamics of society. But church folks regularly interacted with different people and in ways contrary 
to those power dynamics. Now, these power dynamics were boundaries society had put in place. Remember, boundaries always point to an underlying value. And in this case, that underlying value within the Roman in, was the Roman imperial definition of peace. The value underlying that, those boundaries, was the Roman imperial definition of peace. In the Roman imperial mindset, at least, a stratified society in which everyone knew their place and everyone stayed in their place would engender peace, at least to the powerful Roman folk. And Ephesus, the city where this story, where this letter is written to, was one of the largest and most important cities of the Roman Empire. And that empire valued peace above all else. Now, in actuality, most of the time, that peace was brought about by conquest and military subjugation. But Jesus didn't use a sword to bring about peace. Jesus offered his body and his blood, thus creating a new boundary by which people would be enveloped within the family of God. And as a result of this new humanity, made up of differentiated peoples, reconciled through the peace Jesus offered both. As chapter 2 pivots from verse 15, we see so much plural language indicating the shared life that is to exist within the church. One new humanity is created out of two, plural language. Reconcile us, plural language. Peace to those far and to those near, plural language. Both groups have access to the Father. Again, plural language. There is all of this plural language sharing because the boundary has changed. And as a result, the family of God has changed, enabling shared life together. Recently, you all as a church community experienced an example of this. And I was so encouraged to hear from Pastor Ben about the budding relationship that CLC was able to experience with Oakland Worship Center. I have heard about how in response to the anti-Asian violence, Pastor Steve from Oakland Worship Center reached out to CLC and the subsequent conversations that have taken place at the various levels of your congregation. Now that is wonderful and very encouraging. And that is what family does for one another. When a family member is hurting, we check in with one another and we support one another where we can. Now, obviously, Oakland Worship Center and the leadership of that congregation is different from that of CLC. And that is right, and that is good. And they are family. And I don't know what the future of that particular relationship will look like for your congregation, but fostering relationships like that are embodied examples of this passage. Last week, uh, Pastor Calvin invited you all into proximity with people who are different than you. And to that, all I can say is yes and amen. Highlight, underline, bold, italic. Let's all just do what Pastor Calvin instructed us because there is richness 
that God can offer us as we expand our definition of family. One thing I will add to Pastor Calvin's invitation, which he actually exampled for us, but I want to highlight. Pastor Calvin told us his story and the story of his family. See, whenever we interact with someone or a community of someone's, particularly those who are different from us, we bring our stories with us because those relationships don't take place in a historical vacuum. We all have stories and those stories have shaped how we navigate life. Our own articulation of our story will help us to receive with greater humility other people's stories which have shaped their lives. And that story may be very different from ours. In our passage this morning, Jewish and Gentile peoples did not exist in a historical vacuum. They both had a distinct history in relation to the covenant promise of Abraham. And as a result, the boundaries between them were fairly defined. And that is why what Jesus did through this new encompassing covenant and the subsequent expanding boundary was so unconventional. So let's follow Pastor Calvin's invitation to proximity and his example of storytelling within those intentional relationships. Uh, Let me finish uh, the scripture and let me make one final point. Um, Here at the end of the scripture, we see Paul turning back to address the Gentile portion of this community, initially addressed in verse 11. The passage reads, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which, the, in which God lives by his spirit. Paul again employs this motif of old and new. No longer stranger, but now fellow citizens sharing as equal members within the household of God. For Paul, this comparison of what was and what now is enables this building project. Following verse 20, Paul offers all this building language built on the foundation, Christ as a cornerstone, whole structure, joined together, built together, dwelling place of God. We have all this temple building project language. See, the result of these new boundaries is an expanding new family. And then Paul gives us this temple. Prior to this, Paul was addressing the internal realities within the community, how they relate to one another. But now, this temple is an external manifestation visible to those on the outside of the community. 
going all the way back to the traveling temple, the tent, the tabernacle of the Exodus story. The temple was always to be the very dwelling place of God on earth. It was to be the external symbol that God inhabited right alongside God's people. The temple was the physical manifestation of this relationship. And other people who did not yet know God could witness the temple and the relationship God had with God's people. Putting this whole passage together, Paul centers the work of Jesus' flesh on the cross in verse 15, and then outlines for us the internal work creating new boundaries and a new family from previously different peoples. And then he finally turns here with this temple building project, highlighting the outward external manifestation, the demonstration of God's relationship with us. Our churches relating to, caring for, advocating on behalf of people who are different from us is an external manifestation of the presence of God. Let me say that again. Our churches relating to, caring for, advocating on behalf of people who are different from us is an external manifestation of the presence of God. That work is a part of God's temple building project. And as we all know, building projects cost money. <laughs> and as we also all know, we are not really ever taking anything seriously until we are talking about money. So I want to invite you all to consider giving your shumi. Shumi means gift in the native language of the original inhabitants of this land, the Ohlone people. There's this land trust that has been created dedicated to the preservation of those people. A quick internet search can reveal the harm done by the mission system to the native peoples in California and by Native American boarding schools more broadly in the Southwest. Both the mission system and Native American boarding schools were enterprises of the church. That is our history. Remember, we all have a history. And, there was a, and as a result of that history, there is a boundary between Native peoples and the church that should not be there. That is an inappropriate boundary. Giving Shumi is one small step in removing that boundary. My family, we give our shumi, which for homeowners is based on the size of your home. And on their webpage, they have a suggested value of what that should be. And I actually think it's fairly modest. And I've recently required how our local InterVarsity ministry here can give our shumi. Now, being a national nonprofit, there are a few people that I have to talk to about this, but I am looking into the process. Now, imagine the testimony that would be engendered if people of faith and local churches gave Shumi. That is boundary crossing work. Relating to caring for, advocating on behalf of people who are different from us is temple building work. It is work 
visible from the outside of our community that is an indication of our internal values. And Shumi is one way, among many, to demonstrate that conviction. In response to Ephesians 2, I want to invite us to three things. One, let's follow Pastor Calvin's instructions to proximity. And two, his example of storytelling, because relationships do not take place in a historical vacuum. And three, I want to invite us to relate to, care for, advocate on behalf of people who are different from us because that is the temple building work envisioned by this passage. This is hard work, church. Crossing boundaries is hard work. It was hard work for the early church. It is hard work for us now. And the early church had access to the Holy Spirit of God. And with that help, they got this right. Now I can say that with confidence because I am not Jewish, and I have been welcomed into the family of God, and I am willing to bet that probably most of our stories here as well is similar to that, and we as a church community have access to that same spirit that enabled that work, that empowered that hard work then, and it will be the same spirit, it is the same spirit that enables that hard work now, and it is that spirit that will lead us into this hard temple building work together. Let me pray for us to conclude. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the new world that it envisions. We confess our communities and our world need to adequately reflect your vision for us more. We thank you for your spirit and that you do not leave us alone in that work. Will you make us attentive to that work and how you respond, how you want us to respond in proximity to others, in telling our stories and caring for people who are different from us? Will you give us insight beyond our own? We ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Thank you, CLC.